All right, well, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 26 through 40 this morning as we begin a new sermon series. I believe it's on page 1134, if you're going to use one of the Bibles we have underneath the chair in front of you. We'll read John chapter 6, 26 through 40. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you for on him. God, the father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and we thank you for how it shows us who Jesus is and what he has done. And we pray now, Lord, as we begin this new series, looking at the things that Jesus has said about himself in the gospel of John. We just pray that this would be a rich time that you would fill our hearts with faith and with joy and that we would see Jesus shine even brighter and that he would we would be even more transformed and made it more into his likeness, that we would be more equipped and excited to take the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we're beginning a new sermon series this morning, and it's going to take us uh, for the next eight weeks. We're looking at the seven I am sayings in the gospel of John, and then kind of an eighth one where he says the words I am uh, that we're going to look at as well. But nonetheless, we're going to be looking at these different places where Jesus says, I am something and how understanding what he is saying and believing what he's saying really does change our lives. You know, we're used to people saying that they are something. There's lots of phrases. If you thought about it, you'd be able to think of a lot of things that people have said that they are. I am the greatest. Right. Who is that? Muhammad Ali. Remember that? Uh, Or maybe I am the walrus, the Beatles. Like anybody really knows what that means anyway? See, a lot of times when people say what they are, it just doesn't really affect us. We can just be like, yeah, okay, that's what you are. 
But if you think about it, there, there are times or there are situations where when somebody says what they are, it makes a dramatic difference in the life of the listener. Like, for example, imagine if you were in desperate need of a kidney transplant or you were going to die. And then someone you know, maybe a loved one or a relative, came and said, hey, guess what? I am a match. Meaning I'll give you my kidney. Okay, so in that moment, hearing that changes your life. Or imagine a seven-year-old girl who's grown up in an orphanage. And one day a woman comes to the orphanage, talks to the director of the orphanage for a few minutes, and then comes down to where this young girl is. And this woman leans in and says to her, I am your mother. And in that moment, that announcement of what that person is totally changes that little girl's life because she's always had this deep longing, of course, to know her parents. So Jesus says in John chapter six, I am the bread of life. And the reality is the more that we come to understand what he's saying and believe what he's saying, the more we realize how life-changing it really is. Because whether or not we realize it, we all have a deep longing for exactly what he's talking about. And what we're focusing on is that because of the cross, Jesus is the bread of life. In other words, he is the one true source of lasting satisfaction for our souls. So that's what we're hoping to see uh, this morning that Jesus is the bread of life because of the cross. He is the one true source of lasting satisfaction for our souls. We'll talk about three things. First, true satisfaction, and then true faith, and then true grace. That's where we're headed if you're making an outline. True satisfaction, true faith, and true grace. So keep your Bibles open. We're going to be walking right through the passage here. Looking at verses 26 through 27, first thing we want to see is that Jesus, in this conversation with this, these people who come to talk to him, he's pointing out that our tendency is to pursue things that can only offer temporary satisfaction. Okay, That's one of the realities of who we are as human beings and our fallenness and our brokenness. We tend to chase after things that can actually only temporary, temporarily satisfy us. Take a look. Verse 26. It says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, just a little context here. So these are people who were present when Jesus earlier in John chapter 6 fed the 5,000. Okay, one of his more famous miracles where he took a little boy's lunch of five loaves of bread and two fish and multiplied it and fed thousands of people with it. Well, these people that are coming to talk to Jesus, they were there. And so what he's doing is he's calling them out and he's saying, you're not here because you believe in me. You're just here because you're hungry again. You're hoping for another meal. You're looking for something temporary. And so he responds with verse 27. Look at this. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but rather for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you for on him. God, the father has set his seal. And now he's taking that idea of food and he's using it as a metaphor and that idea that when you know after you eat a really big meal you do feel nice and full nice and satisfied he's taking that idea and he's saying don't work for things that can only satisfy you in a temporary way rather chase after the things pursue the things that can give you a permanent satisfaction a lasting satisfaction and he's basically putting his finger on something that i think we can all relate to and that is this sort of cycle that we get on where we 
we tend to think that there's something out there that once I get it or once I achieve something, then I'll have satisfaction. Then everything will be good. And we get our hearts set on those things. And what ends up happening is we, we end up working hard to get something or to achieve something. And then we get it and we realize pretty quickly that either it's not all it's cracked up to be or it's just not enough. And we go right back into trying to get something else or work towards something else, thinking that when we get that thing or when we have that thing, then we will be truly satisfied. And the reality is that it's, it's really a cycle of disappointment. It's a cycle of disappointment because we keep thinking, once I have this thing, then I'm going to be satisfied. We get it, and it doesn't actually satisfy us. And what he's saying here is that that's a problem that we do. That's a problem that we have, that we keep chasing after these things. Like for Maybe it's a promotion at work. Uh, some of us have probably experienced where we thought, as soon as I get to this certain level at work, then everything's going to be good. And you get there, and you realize, that's not true. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a certain amount of money in the bank. Or maybe it is a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or getting married or something like that. We've all had those moments. And we tend, we tend to have those thoughts that this is what I need and then I will be satisfied. But it really sets us up for disappointment. In fact, Robbie Zacharias says this. The loneliest moment in life is when you have just experienced what you thought would deliver the ultimate and it has just let you down. Some of you might uh, remember this moment on 60 Minutes uh, many years ago with Tom Brady. And this was when Tom Brady only had three Super Bowl rings, but he had just won his third Super Bowl. And he had a $60 million contract with the Patriots. And he was married to a supermodel. And he himself was actually on People Magazine's list of 50 most beautiful people. And so, you know, by most of the world's standards, he's got everything anybody could ever dream of, success, money, fame. And there's this really powerful moment where he was very honest and vulnerable with Steve Croft as he was being interviewed on 60 Minutes. And this is what he said. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? He says, I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is it. You know, you reach your goal, your, your dream is fulfilled. But he says, me, I just think there's got to be more than this. And that's what we're dealing with here. This tendency that we have to continue to place our hopes in something for satisfaction, something of the world. And we live with that assumption. We keep assuming when I have this, then everything will be great. Or when I do this, then everything will be great. And Jesus is lovingly saying, it's just not how it works. It's just not true. And so one of the things as I was thinking through the, this week, and I want to encourage you to think about it too, you know, what are the things that you are currently placing your hope in? What is that thing out there that you think, when I get this, then everything is going to be okay? Because Jesus would say, no, don't, don't assume that is true. He's not saying we shouldn't do certain things or pursue certain things, get a promotion at work, but we absolutely have to understand that's not where true satisfaction comes from. Maybe it's graduation. I know it's getting close to graduation time. I've talked to some high school seniors, some college seniors, some people in grad school, and they, you, know, you get this idea that as soon as I get there, as soon as I walk across that stage, everything's going to be awesome. I've been there. Not awesome afterwards. And so if, you, if we think that that's what's going to happen, then we, 
we get disappointed. And Jesus really is saying that he's the only one that can give us this lasting food, this, this food that endures to eternal life. He's the only one. He's the only source who can truly satisfy us is what he's saying here. It's like what Sam Storm says when he says, you were created for the incomparable pleasure and matchless joy that knowing Jesus alone can bring. Only then in him will you encounter the life-changing, thirst-quenching, soul-satisfying delight that God, for his glory, created you to experience. Nothing else in life other than Jesus himself can give that to us. And we get it through faith. Next we want to talk about true faith. See, this is the issue here. See, we tend to think that we're going to get satisfaction through the things that we do. Whether we're a believer or not, there's this, this in, in our minds, we think, when I, I have to do certain things, and then that will bring satisfaction. But the reality is, what we're going to see in the next several verses, verses 28 through 36, is that lasting satisfaction comes not through what we do, but through what we believe. It's through true faith in Christ. So take a look. Verse 28 they say to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Okay, so they're asking for a list. They're like, okay, you're a prophet. You're teaching us about what God wants from us. You're talking about this you know, food that endures, this lasting satisfaction. Give us the list. Let's see the list. Give me the step-by-step. Step. What are the laws? What are the commands? How do we do this, Jesus? Let's, 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 uh, let's get the list, please. You see where their hearts are? Their assumption is it's going to be through something that I do. And then he turns everything on its head. Look at what he says in verse 29. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, meaning this is what God requires from you. This is what God wants from you. That you believe in him who he has sent. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. In other words, what he's saying is that what Jesus is talking about, this true satisfaction, is not going to come through anything that we do. It's going to come through believing in him. Now, they don't, they don't like his answer, right? So they start to ask him to try to prove it. Is, you know, can you do some sort of sign? And you've got to be, like, the fact that he did not stop and say, I'm sorry, remember when I fed the 5,000 and you ate? And that's why you're here again? But whatever, they, you know, they're asking him to kind of prove what he's saying is true. And then they start talking about when the Israelites had received manna in the wilderness, almost as if to say, is that what you're talking about, Jesus? Are you talking about like more manna, something that you know, appears on the ground? If you read in Exodus 16, the Israelites were hungry and, and uh, through Moses, God have, began to have this food appear on the ground in the morning and they would gather it up and they would eat it and they'd, their bellies would be full that day. And so they're kind of like, is that what you're talking about here? Is that the type of bread you're talking about? And and Jesus is correcting their understanding of of the situation here. Look at verse 32. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. So he's talking about this is something directly from God. This is true bread. This is better than manna. This is better than anything they've ever experienced or even imagined. Look at 33. He says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So he's saying this is not bread which miraculously appears on the ground. This is something that was in heaven and has come down to earth. And it's not something that fills your belly for a day. This is something that gives life. Life that gives true, lasting satisfaction. True, divine bread that 
changes everything. And so, of course, in verse 34, you know, their mouths are watering. And they totally missed that he used a personal, he used a personal pronoun, pronoun in the verse before. But look at what they say in verse 34. They say, sir, give us this bread always. I mean, they're, they're locked in. They're like, this sounds amazing. We'll take some. But then he tells them that it's actually him. They're like, give us this bread. And he said, well, it, it, it's me. I am the bread of life. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Again, he's, he's using metaphor here. And he's, he's talking about the fact that when somebody truly gives their life to Christ, when they have faith in him, then an emptiness that was there goes away. And that wondering, that longing for what else is out there, there's got to be something else out there, that goes away too. Once we have truly given ourselves over to Jesus, we don't wonder if there's something else out there. We know that it's him, that he is what our heart has been longing for, that he is what can truly satisfy us. The issue, though, is belief. Look at 36. So he says, I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. So what he's saying is the problem is not that he's somehow not satisfying the problem isn't that he just can't really satisfy people he can kind of do it but not really that's not the problem the problem is their unbelief he's saying you guys are are looking at me you're looking at the very thing that your heart wants desperately for that permanent satisfaction you're looking at it and you just don't believe it that's the issue think about The fact that he's standing there saying, you're looking at everything your heart desires and you've asked for lunch. Paul says in Colossians 1 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And so the Bible clearly shows that Jesus can do anything. He is all powerful. He can satisfy little old us for the rest of eternity. Easy. The problem is not whether or not he's satisfying. The problem is our unbelief that we struggle to believe. That he's the only one that can satisfy us. See, in Romans 1, Paul talks about how humanity claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 25, he says, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So what Paul is saying is, is we have we've believed the lie that there is something created that will satisfy us or that can fulfill us. But the reality is we've, that's a lie. The only thing that can truly satisfy something who's created like us is our creator, the one who made us. And what Jesus is showing us here is that he wants that for us. He wants us to be fully satisfied. Living a life of disappointment, that's not the way it's supposed to be. He's, he wants us to be satisfied in him. So 
we see that this is through faith. I mean, clearly he said the issue is faith. And so if you're a non-believer, uh, then the challenge is to realize that you're, what he's saying is basically you think seeing is believing, but he's telling you believing is seeing. Okay. Paul even talks about a veil that needs to be lifted in second Corinthians three sixteen. When you turn to the Lord, he says, when someone turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And so if you're a non-believer, you're in this text, he's calling you to go ahead and believe that he will satisfy your longings and your desires. If you trust him, if you are, that's if you're a non-believer, if you are a believer, I mean, many of us would say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't feel that satisfaction. I say that too. And the reason is, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's because of my unbelief. So we need to cry out like the man in Mark 9, 24, who said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. We need to repent. We need to turn away from our unbelief, which is believing that there are these things in the world that's going to give us what we want. That's repentance. It's turning away from believing that and trusting that, no, Jesus is what I need. Jesus will satisfy me. Jesus is the one I want. And the reality is the more we repent of our unbelief and seek to trust him, the more that we see what we really have in him and the more we realize he is satisfying. He is what I want. But it, it, it's, it's a matter of faith. It's not going to be through what we do. It's going to be through a matter of faith. So I just read that uh, they're making another Indiana Jones movie. Is that true? Okay, so Harrison Ford is just killing it. He's bringing Star Wars back. He's bringing Indiana Jones back. I mean, this is my childhood again. It's awesome. Right. And Indiana Jones in the last crusade. So the most recent movie, there's this great scene, great scene of faith. If you've seen the movie, you know, his father gets shot. Indiana Jones father gets shot and he has to go into this uh, uh, old cavern and, and he has to find the Holy Grail so he can use that to save his father. And, and anyway, he goes on this little journey and he's following this little map and he's got all these uh, interesting things he's got to go through. Well, there's this one moment where he has he comes and the map shows that he's supposed to walk across uh, this huge cavern or huge uh, hole in the ground, basically. And there but there's no bridge. There's nothing. There's no way for him to get across. He can't jump it. But he has this little map that shows him that people somehow can just walk across that. And he's got two options. He can just turn back or he can trust that the, the map is right. And somehow if he if he steps out onto nothing because he's looking down, he sees absolutely nothing but blackness. And he, he does it. He, he puts his leg out and he, he just in faith, he steps out and he realizes that he's standing. And what you see is that the bridge was there the whole time. It's just painted to look like the blackness beneath. And what Jesus is saying here is, I am everything you could ever want and ever need. You just can't see it until you step. But when you do, you see, oh, he is here. He is real. He is everything my heart has ever wanted. Paul says uh, in, in Colossians 3, if then you have been raised with Christ, which we have if we're believers, he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And he's just once again, he's saying, get your mind on what you have. Look at the one whom you have for your satisfaction. Chase after him. Learn about him. Think about him. And that's the, the call here for us to believe. And then, see, there, there are things that we do. 
There are things that we want to be doing, and as we do those things, we can experience more of Jesus. But again, it's not through those things that we do. It's through faith. It's believing that he is the one we're truly pursuing. Think about this. William Grinnell wrote this a long time ago. He says, the reason why many poor souls have so little heat of the joy in their hearts, that is, hearts is that they have uh, so little light of the gospel knowledge in their mind. The further a soul stands from the light of truth, the further he must be from the heat of comfort. And in an old kind of English way, what he's saying is, is he's saying that the reason that so many even Christians don't have as much joy is they can see the fire that Christ is, but they're not always moving closer to him. And it's only when we're moving closer to him through worship, through being in community with other believers, through being on mission with him, through reading the scriptures, having a daily Bible reading plan, through understanding theology. All these things are not just things we're supposed to do. These are the things that help us walk closer and feel more of that heat. And to experience more of what you already have in Christ. And that's why we're, we want to be doing these things. Again, it's not, be, it's not doing them because you can do them with no result, no impact. But you can't do them in faith without you really beginning to see and being reminded of how satisfying the King of Kings and Lord of Lords truly is. The starting point is the gospel. See, we have to understand that true satisfaction is going to come from, from, from true faith and really believing Jesus and, and working to get, get all we can of our understanding of him and, and just celebrating who he is. That starts when we really understand true grace. So look at 37 through 40. Because basically what we need to understand here is Jesus is going to show us that all the wonderful things we have in Christ, we have by grace alone. It really isn't through the things that we do. It's because of the things that God has done. Take a look. And this is speaking now to those who believe or any who will choose to believe. You know, Jesus was pointing out that these people who had come to him weren't really there because they believed. They were there just to get another meal. Okay. And he's now he's kind of explaining why when people really do come to him, why do they? And it's phenomenal. Take a look. 37. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Pause right there because that's a phenomenal reality. Here's what he's saying. That when somebody does come to Jesus and put their faith in Jesus, it is not because they thought, hey, oh, that's a good deal. I'll take that. No, rather, before the creation of the world, we would see in John 17 and Ephesians 1, before the creation of the world, God the Father gave those people to God the Son. Which means that you are a treasured possession of Christ. You are a gift from His Father to Him. Think about how satisfying it is to know that you are a special treasured gift from the Father to the Son. Then He says, He says, all the Father gives me, will come to me. And then he says, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out, which means we have full acceptance, no matter what we've done, no matter how many times we've sinned, no matter how many times we've blown it. We will never be rejected by Jesus. He will never cast us out because he's not in the business of rejecting anything from his father. He does not reject anything from his father. And if you believe, or if you choose to believe, you will see that you have been given by the Father, to the Son as a gift. And he'll never reject you. You have his full acceptance. And the proof that Jesus would never reject anything from his Father is the cross. 
He didn't reject the cross. He received the punishment that we deserve so that we could be saved, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that he would lose nothing. That's what he says next. Look, 38 and 39. He says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And here it is. This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. So God, the father says to God, the son, here's these gifts I want to give to you. And the son says, I will take them. I would never reject anything from you, father. And then he says, and I don't want you to lose even one of them. And Jesus says, "Okay, well, that means I'm going to have to die in their place. I'm going to have to pay for their sins with my very blood and I'll do it. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So if we are believers, then not only are we precious gifts that Jesus has received, not only are we fully accepted by him, but we also are fully forgiven. We've been declared righteous. And also he says he will raise it up at the last day. You know, last Sunday we were celebrating Easter that Jesus rose from the dead, the resurrection, and there's this promise that Jesus will do the same for us. That when the time comes and he returns to make all things new, we will be raised from the dead as well with perfect glorified bodies, perfect bodies that work perfectly, living in the new heavens and new earth where everything is perfect. C.S. Lewis once said that if we could see the body that we're going to have, if we could see it now, we'd be tempted to bow down and worship. What he's going to make us into is going to be absolutely beyond anything we could ever imagine amazing because he's going to make us like him. And so there's this promise of, of resurrection that, that, that we will have this in this next life. We will be raised to life and we will live in this perfect place with all the other perfected people and our perfect God. And you might be thinking, yeah, I want that, but I, you know, I, I really am not, I'm not a good gift. I'm not a gift that Jesus would really want. I'm a sinner. I have failed. I feel like that. I know that I'm a failure. I know that I've not lived up to God's standards. I have sinned. But I want you to think about something. When when you and I give a gift to somebody, it's usually because we think that gift will benefit that person in some way. Right? So let's say I give you a pair of socks for Christmas, you know, because I'm a big spender. And I give you that pair of socks because I'm thinking you will wear that pair of socks and that pair of socks will benefit you. Well, the Son of God needs nothing. When God the Father gives a gift to the Son of God, it is not because of what that gift can do for the Son. It is because of what the Son can do for that gift. That's the good news. We've been given to Jesus, not because what we can do for him, but because what he can do for us. He can raise us up. He can make us into something far more beautiful than we could ever imagine, starting in this life and completing it when he returns. He takes something that's wrong and broken and sinful, and he turns it into something phenomenally beautiful. That's part of what is so satisfying to our soul. Have you ever seen burl on a tree? You ever seen a tree with burl? This is a, when, a, when a tree gets a disease, it tries to deal with that disease by growing in all these weird shapes, and then it gets really kind of ugly. And if you were to cut down a tree that had a big burl on it and carve, carve away the rest of the tree and just take that big piece of burl and hand it to someone, they'd probably be like, thank, thank you? You know, it's, a, it's an ugly, diseased piece of wood. But there are people like my dad who, if you gave it to him, he would say, yes, awesome. People are looking at him like, you know, that's an ugly disease piece of wood, right? 
And he's, th- he's thinking, yes, that is, oh, well, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for this gift. Why? Not because of what that diseased piece of wood can do for him, but because of what he can do to it. My dad is a wood turner. And what he will do is take a piece of wood like that, a piece of a tree, and he'll turn it into these beautiful bowls that are really works of art. He puts them on his lathe and it spins. And with his tools, he cuts away all that doesn't need to be there anymore so that it can be shaped into this absolutely stunning work of art. And the reality is, this is why Jesus doesn't reject any of us. He knows exactly what he can do to us. He knows what he can make of us. This is the good news of the gospel. It's all by grace. It's not because anything that we have done. Look at verse 40. He says, just to reiterate again, he says in verse 40, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. It's all by grace through faith. And the more that we believe that, that we really are a treasured possession from the Father to the Son, and, and, and He would never reject anything that the Father's given Him, and so we know that He never rejects us, and we know that he, he, he knew that it was His mission to lose nothing, so all of our sins are paid for, and that we're going to be raised up on the last day. The more we see that, the more we feel that satisfaction and realize there is nothing else out there for me. And we see He truly is the bread of life that we've been longing for. Let's pray. Father, Forgive me uh, for my unbelief. I don't know how many times I've sought to find satisfaction in things that are of this world when sitting there on the shelf is my Bible and I could be chasing after more and more understanding of the glory of Christ. Lord, I just pray for me personally, would you help me to see Jesus and believe? Would you help me to, to continue to run to him to feel more of what he has done for me? And would you help all of us in the same way, Lord? Would you help us to cherish who we are in Christ and to find all our satisfaction in him? For your glory and for our good, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.